This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. This is Franchise Today on Wednesday, October 23rd. I'm Stan Friedman coming to you from home base, Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, from all reports, Franchise Update's 21st Annual Franchise Leadership and Development Conference here in Atlanta last week was a resounding success. Among other things, in addition to scheduled programming and events, those in attendance got to witness the reemergence of franchising's godfather, Jerry Darnell, who returned following his hiatus to take care of some health issues. The new and improved Jerry is now minus about 100 pounds, is standing straight up and walking, minus two the scooter that he so often needed to wheel around at industry events. Kudos to you on your reinvention, Jerry, and congratulations too to Therese Tilgen, Gary Gardner, Diane Fibbs, and the rest of the Franchise Update team. Franchise Update's Leadership and Development Conference is one of franchising's best-produced, highly-revered educational events and a celebration of success shared by everyone in development each year. Again, from all reports, this year's may have been the best yet. Thanks, too, to last week's guest, Peter Capitis, the industry leader in retained employment searches, for providing us with so much take-home value last week about the labor market as it pertains to the recruitment of executive talent for franchisors. Peter shared some great info, so if you've yet to download last week's episode, please be sure to do so. You do not want to miss this one. And now, with all of that said, it's on to the front of the house, which is brought to you this week by Transitive, where Christian Pillett and his team provide franchisors and franchisees with cutting-edge, high-tech solutions to pinpoint their most valued customers and drive laser-sharp conversational marketing right to them. More about Transitive coming up in just a minute, but first, it's time for this week's Franchise Birthdays. With many happy returns going out this week to Kim Lucy, Nancy Beskar, Joe Thrash, Bruce Krebs, J.J. Newman, Carter Hill, Salvatore La Mancha, Clarissa Wyndham-Bradstock, Jason DiStefano, Pat Conlon, Jay Buckwright, S.A. Harris, Anthony Jones, Megan Owen, Brian Miller, Emily Emmerich, and Ashley Mayotte. Well, there it is. Quite a list this week. Also in this week's Front of the House, I want to spend a minute or two talking about a program that I helped produce and actually was a facilitator with last Saturday in Cleveland, Ohio. It was co-signatured as a production of the IFA and KeyBank. Many of you will remember KeyBank executives appearing with me here just a few months back, talking about their commitment to franchising, diversity in franchising, and investment in low and moderate income communities nationwide. KeyBank has demonstrated this in earnest vis-a-vis a three-year $150,000 donation to the IFA's Educational Foundation in the name of the furtherance of education about business ownership and franchising with a focus, too, on low 
and moderate income communities. Well, last Saturday, KeyBank and the IFA delivered a pilot half-day educational program, the first of what I hope will be many more to come. And what an amazing event it was in KeyBank's hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. I actually got to participate in this event, which hands down was the best of any such events I've ever participated in during my 22 years of promoting diversity and inclusion in franchising. What made this one such a game changer from my point of view was the deep level of franchisee participation in the program. This came in the names of Vanessa Whiting, owner of 15 Cleveland Popeye's restaurants, Michael Obie, CEO of Spectrum Global, a multi-unit Little Caesars franchisee, and Connie Hill Johnson of Visiting Angels, all three powerful and relatable communicators and business people who helped convey to the audience how much franchise business ownership has changed their lives and those they employ and serve. When we come back from a short break, we're going to continue that conversation as I've invited Visiting Angels franchisee Connie Hill Johnson here today to bring the conversation about the program and moreover about diversity in franchising to you. And we'll speak more about that return on investment in franchising, but the ROI too as it pertains to return on inclusion and why more franchisors should be focusing their eyes on that ball as well. So a quick break and we'll be right back with Constance Hill Johnson. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about our newest sponsor. I'm talking about Transitive, an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine, accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning. Yes, artificial intelligence, which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because, as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value. But wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's www.transitive, T-R-A-N-S-I-T-I-V dot I-O. Thank you, Transitive. And now for today's guest interview. Visiting Angels is America's choice in home care. They provide non-medical home care customized towards the need of each individual client. Their caregivers are the lifeblood of their business, providing compassionate and dependable assistance with the activities of everyday living to seniors, the disabled, and those recovering from surgery. Their services include such simple tasks as light housekeeping, meal prep, errands and shopping, to more specialized tasks such as safety supervision and personal hygiene assistance. Visiting Angels in-home care helps make it possible for seniors and adults with special needs to continue to live at home 
live at home safely while maintaining the independence of their daily routines and familiar surroundings. They pride themselves on working with families and their loved ones, and Visiting Angel Services help families spend mutually rewarding and meaningful time with their loved ones and provides comfort and peace of mind to those who face the challenge of long-distance caregiving as well. In the Cleveland market, Connie Hill Johnson is an integral part of the Visiting Angels Network, albeit a standalone in her brand's family in Cleveland in terms of diversity. We're going to talk about that and more, but first, Connie, welcome to Franchise Today. Thank you so much, Stan. I'm thrilled to be here. Connie, I wish our audience knew how much difficulty we've had with production challenges today, but I can't thank you enough for still wearing a smiling face and bringing your message to our audience here on Franchise Today. I'm going to ask you to start by doing what our guests do for us every week, which is roll the tape back to where and when franchising found you and what it was you were doing at that moment in time. So I'll take you back to 2001, shortly after uh, 9-11. I was downsized, uh, background in the healthcare arena, and found myself without a job, like what's happened to many Americans over the years, and was reading a Black Enterprise magazine. And that particular article was about the number of minorities buying franchises. Now, Stan, buying a franchise or even being an entrepreneur was never on my radar at all. But I read the article, which took me to several websites on the Internet, and I discovered Visiting Angels. I'm very anal at times, and it probably took me about six months of due diligence, talking to other existing franchisees, and really making the decision that I was going to pull the trigger. I was living in St. Louis at the time but decided to pack my bags and return home to Cleveland to start the franchise. That was the summer of 2002. Connie, a daunting time to be making such big life-changing decisions, wouldn't you agree? Most definitely. To me, of your steady hands. And I think in a business like yours, which is not just like flipping burgers or being a restaurant or some other discretionary service, you're taking care of people's lives and you're dealing with Uh, baby boomers like me who are continuing to age and to need the services of a franchise brand like yours. That to me is a whole lot more than just being a franchisee, Connie. I think that's more like uh, Superwoman or Chicken Soup for the Soul or doing well by doing good. I mean, it's a special thing that you do. I think of first responders in that same light. How difficult is, is that to face some of the pain you see in others' lives? every day in business? You know, that's an excellent question. And there are absolutely phenomenal days and rewarding days and uh, days that just give you your goosebumps because you see the impact you're having on families. You see the benefits of serving seniors. You see the relationships that are formed between our caregivers and families and the seniors themselves. But then the flip side of it is recognizing we are dealing with an aging population. And I have to remind my staff and my caregivers sometimes that um, we lose some. Uh, We're dealing with people in their 70s and their 80s and their 90s. And I've had a few over 100 and they pass away, whether it's um, expected because we're serving someone on end of life care with hospice or whether it's someone we've been serving for three or four years and they they die. That's the difficult part. That's the 
sad part. Um, many tears have been shed. Many funerals have been attended to, but we still yet recognize the impact and the benefit to the overall family and those family caregivers um, that they uh, reap from our being there. So um, all in all, the journey is rewarding and sweet. You know, last week I had as my guest a gentleman named Peter Capetes, who is one of the preeminent recruiters of talent to franchisors. So he does retain searches for franchise executives in different and various departments and franchise organizations. We talked some about the impact that today's unemployment rate is having on the broader economy. But in your space, I would believe, at least until you tell me otherwise, that the impact's got to be that much greater in that you can't just recruit burger flippers. You're you're recruiting people who are going into people's homes and taking care of treasure, their parents, their grandparents. How difficult is that for you in terms of today's economy and, and unemployment rate? Well, I, I think there are two, two things I think of when you ask that question. Number one, with the economy being as good as it is and the unemployment rate being so low, it, it makes it that much harder for us um, because people are working. And so you begin to wonder who's out here looking for a job, particularly in within the pool of, of candidates that we pull from. I think the other thing that makes it that much more challenging for us is we as a society, and this is a broader answer, Stan, don't really value um, that caregivers, support staff, paraprofessional role. So whether you're working for Visiting Angels, a home care agency, whether you're working for the Cleveland Clinic Hospital here, whether you're working for a skilled home health agency, whether you're working for an assisted living facility, we're all pulling on the same pool of workers. So those people who work for Visiting Angels still have opportunities to go apply at an acute care hospital still have opportunities to go apply at a hospice organization. And so we're all within this long-term care industry um, recruiting for the same workforce, which makes it, if the pickings are already slim because of our great economy and the low unemployment rate, you can only imagine what it's like for various organizations to be going after the same pool of worker in the community. How do you combat that? I mean, what do you do to to compete with with such a, a daunting task and and find the right kinds of people? How do you how do you assure that you're getting the best you can get? Well, and again, you, as any employer, you you have to go through what you're going to call your standard recruiting techniques and and processes. But you you really have to determine how your organization can set itself apart. Um, now, clearly, I cannot compete with a Cleveland clinic, maybe in terms of all of the benefit offerings that they have and all of the PTO and vacation and all of the other frills that come with working for a huge organization like clinic, Cleveland clinic. But if I align myself or place myself up against other home care agencies or other home health agencies, then I have to determine what's my, as my husband would say, my, my USP, my unique selling proposition. What is it that's so different about my company and Connie Johnson 
and how I run visiting angels that would be attractive to a caregiver. Um, and then, then determine what are the benefits I can offer and how do I really personalize that um, interview process, that recruiting process? How do I market my company as being the best place for that candidate who might be looking at three different home care agencies? So it's an ongoing process, Stan. It's a, we, we evaluate and reevaluate every year. What can we do better to recruit and what can we do better to retain? Why don't we uh, shift gears for a minute, and I'd like to go back to Saturday's event in Cleveland with KeyBank. I wonder, Connie, as we're going to talk some about diversity today in, in the course of our conversation, when you became a franchisee some 17 or so years ago, were there any programs available to you akin to what we delivered on Saturday in Cleveland? Absolutely not. And if they were available, I was not privy to them. Um, no one shared that information with me. And I considered myself even 17 years ago. Granted, I wasn't an entrepreneur. I was a businesswoman. Um, I had worked in management and executive positions. So so my circle of associates was pretty broad. So if something like this were out there, I would like to think I would have known about it or someone would have shared that information with me, particularly since I was moving into franchise ownership. So hearing about the program just a few days ago on Saturday was um, amazing to me. I've, I've heard of many organizations that position themselves to encourage minorities to become business owners. What I've not heard ever was an emphasis on franchise business ownership for minorities. And that was um, that was exciting for me when I heard about this program being um, sponsored by KeyBank. So when we talk about 17 years ago and Black Enterprise was the reason that you found out about visiting angels, we've seen just a huge spike in population in the U.S. as represented by ethnic minorities. We've seen an increase too in the number of businesses owned and operated by ethnic minorities, but the disparity between those two statistics is still a big one. If we look all the way back to 1969, the nation's minority population was less than 40 million. Today, the minority population is more than tripled to over 130 million, and 39% of the total American population are represented by ethnic minorities. Now, the good news is minorities own almost 30% of America's businesses, which employs 7.2 million Americans and generate more than a trillion a year in revenue. Indeed, the number of minority-owned businesses in operation nationwide has increased by some 38% since 2007, but the numbers are still out of whack. There are not enough uh, minority communities served by members of the communities that they are serving, that they should be serving. And that's what I want to talk about. I mean, we've got an, a large audience of emerging franchisors listening to this podcast every week. Connie, and I wonder, what would you share with some of those franchisors about the opportunity that's lost or the opportunity that's missed if they don't hone in on trying to serve communities that in some cases they may be looking completely past or by putting franchisees into those communities that reflect the community that they're trying to serve. What's, what are some of your thoughts that you can share on that front? You know, Stan, you and I have talked just a little bit about this offline. And I know that 
when I look at visiting angels um, and the franchisor and, and, and my colleagues and, and I go to our annual conferences and regional meetings, um, I honestly can't say that from 2002 to, till now, uh, 17 years later, that I've seen a big increase in the amount of minorities, and I'll be very specific um, because I'm an African-American woman, that's, that's typically what I'm, I'm drawn to and what I'm looking for in these gatherings. And I can't say that there are many, many more from 17 years ago. And I think franchisors are going to have to be very purposeful and intentional about developing strategies to reach minorities with the conversation about being a business owner and considering franchise ownership. So you know that old saying, if the if the the mountain won't come to what is it? If the mountain won't come to Muhammad, Muhammad goes to the mountain, or vice versa. I may have it backwards. That whether it's um, and a shout out to Black Enterprise Magazine. Think about it. I would not be a franchise owner today had it not been for me reading the article in a black publication. So that alone speaks of how do we reach that audience of potential entrepreneurs or franchise owners? We've got to get in front of them first, just like you did last Saturday, before we can even identify those who have the potential to do this. So I know that's a long answer, but I think the, the franchisor has to make it a business priority, has to um, go back and evaluate and re- reevaluate, has to hold his team accountable for what are we doing concretely to reach potential owners, franchisees who are people of color. And if they don't make it a business priority, then they're not going to see that ROI that you and I have talked about, that return on inclusion. Right. You know, Connie, there's a little company that's not in the franchise space, but a company called Intel. And I picked up I picked up a piece in reading in preparation for today's discussion about five steps Intel is taking to increase workplace diversity. And lessons can be learned from this that franchisors would do well to to learn. And it echoes some of what you've just said about intentionality. Intel's vice president of HR and chief diversity and inclusion officer describes how the company is achieving its workforce goals. Goes on to say that their future success depends on a diverse array of perspectives and backgrounds, and inclusion is key. So at Intel, he said, they believe that if you do not intentionally include, then you will unintentionally exclude. Now, that is a powerful statement. Very much so. He said that they're no longer debating the business case for diversity, but we are questioning the business case for homogeneity. Geneity? Geneity? But if you can't, but you can't just hire your way to success. To drive progress, you need an integrated approach of hiring, progressing, and retaining personnel. Now, 
all of that is what we've been talking about here for the past 20 or so minutes in the broader spectrum. But here we're talking about more specifically about not just recruiting, but recruiting with intention to bring diverse points of view, diverse looks to and diverse perspectives uh, to your businesses. And I just can't believe that if franchisors gave this a moment's thought that they'd be wanting to pass up opportunities to bring higher recurring revenues to their bottom lines as the result of exploring opportunities and waters that perhaps not everybody else is fishing in. Where do you go with that thought? Well, again, I go back to to the word that you've used that I've used, intentionality. And so for a franchisor, when he stands up or she stands up, <laughs> beg, beg my pardon here, and looks out in in the conference room or the, the ballroom space at an annual conference and only sees reflected reflecting back on him or her, people that look like him or her, if that doesn't speak to them that we have a problem um, I don't know how you, I, I don't know, because again, it's going to have to come from within to say, um, number one, our, our, our community is diverse. Now the people we serve are diverse. The people we, the caregiver workforce is diverse. So how can you not have a diverse franchisee ownership group? So in talking to franchisees around the country now, when we talk about the caregivers, whether it's from California to New York, the caregivers we hire, think about this, Stan, and I don't know the numbers, but my guess is the caregivers we hire across the country are probably over 50% people of color. Now that's all ethnicity. So if you're on the West Coast, you see a lot of Latinos. If you're in some areas, you see a lot of folks from the Caribbean islands. But if you're thinking that the people who you are putting in front of the seniors and the families to serve them and to care for them and to love on them and to support them, but the ownership is not diverse, there in my mind, there's a disconnect. You know, I think that some of this stems from what we were trying to accomplish with the franchising one-on-one program in Cleveland speaks to the issue. And there are some gaps. I think one of the gaps is that the lack of intentionality means that messaging isn't being reached or messaging isn't reaching potential ears. I know full well that if you ran public service announcements on the radio to say, own your business and own your life, and you played that commercial on ethnic radio station, an audience of ethnic listeners, they would look to the left and they would look to the right and they would say, who are you pointing that to? Who are you talking to? You, you're not talking to me. And the answer would be, oh, yes, we are talking to you. And I think part of the problem is we have to be able to shake the trees hard enough to help that targeted audience suspend their disbelief that this can actually be something that they can call part of their lives. And I think that's a 
big challenge. And it goes back to the intentionality again, because if you don't intentionally push out messages in communities where those messages will be heard, then it's going to be the occasional stumbling onto a black enterprise or something like it, which will deliver a fairly significant number of opportunities, but nowhere near as mass media as the messaging needs to be. That's my thought. What do you think? Well, and and I think that I, I, I totally agree with you. But I also think the second part to that is the because this was my thought 17 years ago. You know, I read the article. I thought, wow. But I I pursued it and pursued it. But still, I got to the can I afford this? So I think with many people that once they can wrap their heads around, oh, maybe I can be a business owner. But then they hear that voice in the back of their head saying, but I can't afford this. So they don't go the next step further and franchisors need to recognize there is the the reaching that audience. But when you reach them, capture them then and say, don't let them run away and say, now I want to show you how you can afford this and what the what the um, financing options are and and the different sources to get funding or loans or whatever it is. So so I think it's it's twofold. It is number one, reaching them and and walking them the path of how you can do this. Once again, the the thrill I had about Saturday's time that KeyBank sponsored because you all presented, you know, a, a full and complete picture of, you know, owning a franchise the benefits of it, the challenges of it, but also, and this is how you too can look at options for funding it and buying one should you go down that road. Absolutely. And I wanted to call out too that regardless of the politics of anyone in the audience, President Trump last month uh, proclaimed the week of September 8th, I believe, to be Minority Enterprise Development Week. And he spoke when signing this proclamation about his first year in office that he achieved significant regulatory reform, signing into law the historic Tax Cuts and Job Act, creating opportunity zones to help those in distressed communities. The opportunity zones have ushered in a new era of economic potential and access to capital in areas that need it the most, from the rural heartland to urban centers and America's inner cities, traditionally overlooked communities are now actually destinations for financial growth with potential for unlimited prosperity. And, you know, it only takes one franchisor to encourage ownership and change the face of a city block. And you name the city anywhere in the country and have a couple or three do the same. And suddenly you're seeing liquor stores replaced by convenience stores, and you're seeing loan offices and pawn shops being replaced by bank branches and ATM machines. And I think I think it's all really doable. I think that one of the, the biggest keys to changing the face of, of blight in America is, as John Hope Bryant would say, is to teach financial dignity. And, and that starts changing the game completely. And now with all these programs that are in place and tax credits that are in place, and just this past week, I, re- I read about the Minority Business Development Agency, a division of the U.S. Department of Commerce, and the National Association of Investment Companies being granted by 
the MBDC a $1 million grant, $1.4 million grant, to support a project that will facilitate the aggregation and deployment of approximately a billion dollars in growth capital into minority-owned businesses. Programs like this were not around when you started, Connie. So I really salute you for being in front of the game. Um, my hope is is that we can just beat the message out there hard enough that with programs like that that we delivered on Saturday and with programs like the president has put in place and the programs like the MBDC uh, that I just spoke about, uh, the access to capital becomes a little bit easier. You know, I heard Jim Fliss on his panel discussion portion of the program on Saturday talk about maybe you need to, you know, worry about your credit. And if you're not quite there, and maybe you need to bring partners. And if you're still not quite there, you've got programs like the SBA's 504 program that that take the 20% down and make it 10. And so I re- it really does become attainable because not all businesses like our good friend Vanessa Whiting's uh, business that she was on that panel with you talking about Popeyes, well, maybe that is a mil- million dollar or more investment, but a visiting angels is not, is it? It's not at all. I mean, I, I thought it was I, it was so great that you had, even Michael Obi, who was later, you had three different franchise models, franchisee models. So, and I know Vanessa. So number one, she's in the food service business but she owns several. Here I am in the home care business, but I only own one. But it, it, it was able to show the audience that there are several different possibilities and styles for franchise ownership. And that it's, all, it's almost like a buffet that, that what works for you or what you desire, I'm quite sure we have a, a a franchise model that will um, that will meet what you're looking for. So that that was a great um, pairing, I thought, of, of Vanessa and I um, coming from two different perspectives and both being successful in our own right. And interestingly enough, Vanessa and I kind of falling into this hers at the passing of her husband mine as a result of losing a job. But but we both looked up and said, whoa, what next? And we took this path and have not looked back. Back to the point that I made at the beginning of the program. Franchising finds us. We do not find it. I want to ask you to stay with me as we take another short break. And then I want to come back and shift gears again. And I want to talk more about what it means to be a franchisee in your community Franchising Gives Back is a big initiative of the IFA, and I want to talk about your community involvement and those things that are important to you and the teams of people that you lead and the families that you serve that have all been part of the growth of a 17-year-old successful franchise in Northeast Ohio. So we'll be right back to pick up from there right after this break. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, 
their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today? Take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot-on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seems simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. I think I'd like to continue our discussion and dive a little bit more into the cultural side of franchising and, and what that looks like in your business and how you weave that fabric into the day-to-day lives of those that you serve, those who work for you, and even in the leadership of your business. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, that's a great question. Um, I have purposely, um, well, well, let me back up. I am a giver by nature um, and, and have always considered myself one who kind of have, has a servant's heart. And, and even in my research at the very beginning, 17 years ago, um, and looking at various franchises, I knew immediately that I wanted to be in the service business. I knew that as I looked at various franchises, I did not want to do anything that, you know, was developing or selling a product. I knew I wanted to provide a service. Um, that's just who I am by nature. So that being said, Visiting Angels was a good fit. I'd had some personal uh, family needs with my parents, um, which ended up being a, a benefit and a blessing in terms of serving them. But um, specific to the community, um, very involved. And I think after Visiting Angels um, became more well-known, the brand itself, and then personally myself, I found that organizations and nonprofits and other entities, whether they were in the senior care arena or not, would approach me asking for my service in their organization, asking me to serve on a board, asking me to speak at an event, asking if Visiting Angels could be a sponsor for whether it's the Alzheimer's Walk, whether it's, um, you know, a non-profit organization that's fighting against elder abuse. I serve on um, the adult guardianship services, uh, advisory com- uh, council. So it's been a wonderful privilege to allow, to have this business kind of propel me into um, more service to the overall community that's even broader than just the clientele that I serve. And, and I really know it's because of, again, I give a lot of credit to the brand Visiting Angels, but I, I give a little bit of credit to my own personal brand and how I purposely put myself out in the community um, to get involved and to be of service um, and to be a benefit uh, to the greater Cleveland community as a whole. What about your employees? Are you encouraging that in in your team to also become engaged and involved in community? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And and you know you you've got the the ones who really don't choose to do it. I, I can't make them, but you know I'll use the Alzheimer's Walk. I'll use other um, um, benefits that occur in the Cleveland area where we can go as a group or as a company 
Um, of course, I encourage all of them to do things individually to give back. And most of the people, again, if you think about it, most, not all, most people who work for a home care agency, particularly at the caregiver level, they have a heart to serve and give back any anyway. You and I both probably can appreciate the fact that most people are not in this at the caregiver level for the money. That's a conversation stand for another broadcast when we talk about wages for that level worker across the country, not just here in Cleveland. So when I talk to my staff about what you're engaged in in the community, how you're giving back, where else are you serving um, outside of your service work as an employee here, it's always rewarding to hear people tell me about their involvement in their church, their involvement with their kids' school, their involvement in their community. Um, and proudly saying, you know what? I wore my visiting angels t-shirt or I had my visiting angels sweatshirt on. Um, that, that's always great to hear. I get to the place in the interview, Connie, at about this time where I ask my guests, if there's a question that I haven't asked that you wish that I had, I'm going to ask you that now too. And you can take a moment but just a moment <laughs> to think, is there anything you'd love to put out there that I haven't asked you about, but that you'd like to share with um, this audience? Pro- probably one of them. And, and, you know, you, I get it a lot. So I'll, I'll even say it here is, you know, if you had, if you had it to do all over again, would you, um, the answer would be yes. Um, what would I do differently? Or what do I wish the franchisor had done differently. Personally, as as a business owner myself, I would have surrounded myself more intimately with, number one, other mature franchisees. Secondly, I would have identified quickly a um, board, advisory council, whatever name, of subject matter experts. For me, um, as a new business owner, and I'm sure many business owners find themselves, you find yourself doing everything. And I should have more quickly said, okay, Connie, you're strong over here. You're not strong here. You need to have some other people who are going to be your posse, your team, your squad, and they're going to pour into you and make sure you stay on the straight and narrow and you don't get too discouraged and you don't get too high. Um, so that's something I share with a lot of people starting off is get you a, a, a team of people who, are, who have your best interests at heart and you're going to keep you focused on, um, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. Does the organization have a council like you've just described, an advisory council? Um, well, you know what? As a matter of fact, several years ago, they 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 started what was called the FAC, the Franchise Advisory Council, and they have them divided up across the United States in regions. And the purpose really is to come together, support each other. You're right, and then to take back to the franchisor um, any themes or concerns that franchisees are saying that they're experiencing across across, you know, across the area, across the region. Um, so that place that is in place. I think again, back to your diversity um, question and the 
the diversity segment that we that we shared a few moments ago. Um, I I don't think I can only speak for our franchisor, but I, I think franchisors overall need to recognize that whether you have a small number of franchisee owners who are people of color or a large owner, there are going to be some unique needs and concerns amongst that group that I think franchisors should be very purposeful in addressing and and, and inquiring and asking. I, I always wonder with our franchisor, is there any data to, or have they ever gone back to say for those franchisees of color who did not make it to the five-year mark or the three-year mark, did anyone circle back around to find out what happened? What didn't we do? What should we have done? Were there challenges that we weren't aware of um, because you're a minority that impacted your ability to succeed? That's very interesting questions. And of course, as with, with anything that's uh, hindsight is always twenty twenty. It we learn from the past, but we have to push forward and hopefully yeah, hopefully your franchisor will give this podcast a listen and maybe we can maybe we can get the executive team interested in some of the work that the IFA's Diversity Institute does and the research that it puts out there and make that information and data readily available for he and any who choose to be a little bit more intentional with businesses, they're doing it today. And again, I always liken it to this. I, I know full well as a franchise development person, that's where my roots were when I grew up in, in the franchising world was always on the development and relationship management side of the business. But I knew as a recruiter that if any of my peers were to tell me, like you've said, Black Enterprise is delivering better than uh, Entrepreneur or this portal is delivering better than that one. And, and I just use those names randomly. As I said that, I realized how many great friends I have an entrepreneur that was not meant to be a slight by any means. But if any source of opportunities for new potential franchisees were delivering better than others, then in a New York minute, I'd be flying to that source and starting to make some investments there because my peer group told me it was worthy to do that. I think that if we don't do anything else. I have no control over anyone's moral compass, and it's not for me to determine political and moral personal issues like that. But if the business case is made for why diversity and inclusion will make sense to put franchises in communities that are not properly served and people are still having to get on a bus to travel three miles to go get a service that should be available outside their door, then be there and be there with somebody who reflects the community that will be served. And so I would want to, with intention, encourage anybody in FranDev that's listening to this to look at this from an economic point of view and tell me where it doesn't make sense. And I'm open to that conversation any day of the week. Your thoughts? Well, and, and you know, while, while you're talking, Stan, one of the things that I was thinking about is amongst the franchisors, as they look around their leadership team, you know, we, we're always asking the question after something has occurred, my goodness, who was at the table? How was that decision made? And so even in the context of this conversation, and, and, and we're challenging people and encouraging people that there's a, there's, there's, there's a case for uh, inclusion and diversity. There's, a, there's an economic case. There's a community case. But if those at the table, around the conference room table, 
if there's no one there who looks like the community or no one there who is there to raise their hand and say, excuse me, are, what are we doing to go after more minorities as franchisee owners? It's, it, it may not occur. So there's always someone who needs to be there to kind of push the envelope at the table and say, you know, we're talking about growth. We're talking about our numbers. We're talking about what we're going to do to recruit more franchisees. But if no one is there to say, excuse me, as a person of color, what are we doing to reach more people of color as franchisees? So I, so I think it has to be looked at from that perspective, too, is who's in that leadership? Who's working for the franchisor? Who's in those positions? to to raise the question and challenge and say, this is what we should do for a variety of reasons. Well, hopefully educations that are off, ed- educations and programs that are offered at IFA and other events through the course of the year, programs like this will hopefully reach some ears that can plant some seeds and get those internal dialogues going, at least even inside one's own head before uh, perhaps sharing it with others on the executive teams. But I think education comes from communication, and communication comes from being able to have an honest discussion like this about issues that are real and offering up ways and means to uh, encourage others to become better informed and learn about programs like this that we've just concluded in Cleveland and programs that are being offered nationally and the 504 program with SBA and all these various ways to make the dream a reality for a wider uh, swath of people than than those that you just think should be business owners. Well, it's not going to be a sprint, and it's 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 definitely going to be a marathon. But it's a race that we're running, and I can't thank you enough for giving of your time and your insights to help share that message with our audience, Connie. Thank you so much. Um, I hope we have the opportunity to stay connected and uh, keep the conversation going. You can count on that. If it doesn't happen, it won't be my fault. I promise you. I'm some. I collect. I collect people everywhere I go and meet people. They they find that I'm more and more accessible, and I and I love it. That's what makes franchising what it is today: is the interdependencies and the connectivity, and meeting and greeting new people, and then cl- adding them to the collection of people that you're going to introduce them to, and then from that connection, it comes back to you ten times, just like anything else does. Thank you so much, Dan. This has been a joy. And a pleasure for me as well. Hey, please remember to subscribe to Franchise Today at Blog Talk Radio and that you can download us from iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or virtually any place where podcasts are found. Remember, you can ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Franchise Today and she will be more than happy to accommodate. Please like us on Facebook and let me hear from you with recommendations for guest interviews as well as any thoughts or comments you'd like to share. You can find all of my contact info on my LinkedIn profile, And I'll be happy to hear from you, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Hey, until next week, I'm Stan Friedman. I'm wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.